sell. Maybe I can say Tzaharayim Tovim. I don't know if I can say Tzaharayim if it's 7 o'clock but the sun hasn't set. But anyway, we are doing now uh, part two, but we're doing a Daf Yudalid, which was today's Daf, which we didn't really get into uh, so so much. Um, and we pick up um, uh, in the middle of Yudalid, Amad Aleph, um, where it's Ma'eli Yeteret al show note. Okay, so we have been discussing um, the... Um, uh, the uh, the difference or the shift from the early fasts to the uh, medium and to the later fasts, um, and most recently, you know, we did have the fascinating discussion about the way in which some of these things might be different between avelut and showing, shedding some light on what are the practices of avelut about. But getting back to the issue of the fasting, the most Im- immediate discussion that we had was the question about. Um, Shift in the liturgy, the idea that in the um, in when it becomes a more uh, a tanitzi bur, you have say anenu, but that there's also a shift. The way the gemara sort of seemed to conclude is that when you um, at the very first three you say the 19 brachot, you add anenu as a separate bracha. The last seven you do 24 brachot, and the middle of the question which category they fell into. But we've already introduced like an increasing change in terms of the liturgy, um, in terms of that, and also we know this difference about mat and the teva so there's a lot of ways in which the liturgy the tefillot and the prayers are much weightier at the, at the end so we're dealing with the gradations here of seriousness again to remind you that in the first three you only fast in the day the middle ones you start the night before you start with the extra inuyim and then the last one in addition to closing the stores the real way it's different is with these added components about the brachot the teva and the matriim and that's therefore what we look at now we turn to that part of the Mishnah. So, the way in which the last seven are the weightiest, you already are starting the night before, you already have the Inuyim, the way they are the weightiest is the more real emphasis of the change in the types of Tfilot. You do Matriyin, which we'll discuss what that means, but it means blasts. And you lock the store, close the store, so it's really a complete day where everything shuts down and everybody is focusing on the tefillot. So now we're going to focus on what this word matri'im means. The my matri'im, what do you, how do you do this uh, blast? So we'll we'll see what it means. Rav Yehuda Omer Beshofarot, Shofar, which makes sense, right? That's what we associate with the word tru'ah. And um, what's the relevance of shofar? I'll talk about in a minute, but let's just see the other opinion. Rav Yehuda, Brei Rav Shmuel, Bashelas, Mishmei Rav Amar, Be'anenu. So he actually says, no, Matri'in, although it's the word of tru'ah, it really means a special tefillah that you say anenu. Um, and that that's the way you call out. Now, what do you mean anenu? We said that you start saying anenu here in the first three, Right? You know, by the last seven, you're doing six extra brachot. So what does this anenu mean? So let's start by looking at Rashi on anenu, and then we're going to go back to Shofarot. So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says the following. He says, Rav Yehuda Amar, it's like four lines before the lines get wide. He says, Matri'im anenu b'koram, hayut so'akim, so that's the matri'im, like a, you know, a yelling out, like you're making a wailing sound. Anenu avinu anenu, anenu he Avram anenu, anenu he Yitzchak anenu, and we're going to see later that this is the uh, 
the whole structure of the extra six brachot that are added in the Shemona Esrei. So Anena really relates to these six brachot and maybe saying it in the Shemona Esrei and saying it outside of the Shemona Esrei. This is one of the earliest, by the way, texts of liturgy, other than, of course, Shemona Esrei that we have, is the Anena, which is already, like, you know, a, something that we say at Slichot, which Rashi re- recognizes. HaKol Kfisha Omin B'Sof HaSlichot. Right, when you're done with Slichot, you say the standard Anena, Olhei Avram Anena, Anena, Olhei Yitzchak Anena, right? Everybody knows that. I don't think people are aware that that is, like, one of the earliest liturgies that's not the Shemona Esrei. All right? And that was the center of the Shemona Esrei. Dur- dur- that's what those extra f- f- six brachot were structured around the Aninus, as we'll see. And maybe Rashi is suggesting they even did it separate from the Shemona Esrei as well. Aval Aninu tefilat anit, but the special bracha of Aninu, Omer afilu b'rishonot v'afilu v'yachid, ukimna de Omer v'shomea tefilat. So we're not talking about this Aninu. We're talking about the, you know, Anenu Ohe Avraham Anenu, Anenu Ohe Yitzhak Anenu, and that's the Matri'im. Okay, so that's what one idea of Matri'im means. Now, how does that fit the language of Matri'im? Because I'll remind you that the word Teruah, we basically, when we learned Rosh Hashanah, comes from an idea of a whale. Right? A truah is a blast, but it's a blast that's what they understand means a wailing, right? A sobbing, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, 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 or like a rapid sobbing, right? It's a type of a wail and a sob. So that's what Rashi is, that's how this one is being interpreted. Not with the shofas, with your own voices. But you don't just say it as you're reading the sitter. You sob it, you know, you cry it out. And that's what you're doing, and that's emphasizing, like, not just the text of the tefillah, but the mode, the sort of energy that has to be part of how the tefillah is done. That's the idea of, bi, of be'anenu. Okay, that's why you have to understand it shows that verb. Why didn't they just say you say anenu? There's a point of sort of expressing it in that way of matri'i. Now, what's the idea of shofarot? So if you look earlier at Rashi, Rashi says the shofarot, hayu osim hatra'ot, v'loshen hatra'at mo tshiru'ah, like the normal tshiru'ah, v'stam tshiru'ah, p'shutah v'nev l'acharab m'sech Rosh Hashanah, we know it has a tzikir before and after, v'ahachi matri'im b'shofarot, k'dichsiv, u'tkatem b'chatot tshiru'ot, it says you've blown b'chatot tshiru'ot, and why does it say you've blown b'chatot tshiru'ot? It says, right, it says, v'alhatsar hatsorer etchem, right, v'areotem b'chatot tshiru'ot, right, when you have an enemy that's oppressing you, when bad things are happening. So we have the idea of a chatzot as a way of calling out to God when bad things are happening. So tokim b'shofarot k'day sh'yachniu libam l'kol ha-shofar v'yu nir ta'im e-chatatam. Okay? So now Rashi, in a way, gives us the two ideas of the Torah, which I'll remind you are the two ideas we had by the, by the Tzkiyot of Rosh Hashanah. Remember the ideas that I developed by Rosh Hashanah is that one is a prayer, a way of reaching out to God, and the other is a way of waking us up and calling on us to do tshuva. And Rashi, in a way, brings both of those together here, right? That the idea of the Chatzot's throat is we blow the Chatzot's throat. You know, presumably this is a way that, you know, will be remembered by God, a way of calling out to God. And the other idea is that it sort of wakes us up and motivates to Again, as I've been saying, Teshuvah is not a dominant theme so far here at all. Okay, so we have two ideas. One is you actually use a shofar, the other is you wail, but presumably I would emphasize not the tshuva aspect of Rashi, but these are two modes of saying how you really have to, you know, give that power to your tefillot. Either use a shofar to do it, or to use not a chatzotzot, which is the model Rashi is basing off. You could have used the shofar of Rosh Hashanah, but a shofar is a way of giving power to the reaching out and the calling out, or through a wailing and through the saying of a name. So let's go, continue. So Gemara says like this: We are assuming that that they're mutually exclusive. The one who says anenu doesn't believe that you do shofarot. Umandam and the one that says shofarot. Um, 
Lo Amr B'Aneinu doesn't say Aneinu like it's one or the other that you have no fewer than seven taniyot on the tzibur it's an interesting no fewer I mean, once you're in the last segment you have no fewer than seven um, and in each of these and in each of these taniyot you have um, 18 chiruot or hatraot and the, the way to remember this is yericho now what, what, what's the siman of Yericho? So must mean that that's a siman of blowing the shofar. And that you know that a way that you're answered is by blowing the shofar. So, and why do you have 18? Because if you've got, um, if you do, well, because if you do six, if you do, right, as I said, the anenus, the, the, each one of the anenus, you know, if you jump ahead for a minute, if you take a look at the next page, it says Vav Amadalef. Okay, where it talks about the six extra brachot in the Mishnah, it says like this. It says, um, it's about, uh, like, right after where it says Yirmiya Yudalit in the inner margin between the Gemara and Rashi, it says, that says the word Chotamehem. So do the next word there, it says, Al Rishonu Hu Omer, on the first of the extra six brachot you say, so the extra brachos are structured on this mishana, right, which is also this type of an unnamed structure. So if you have six extra brachos, right, and they are type of a mishana list, right, and they're also they're also parallels a type of anenu you know, Elohei Abraham, Anenu, etc. So if there's six segments of Anenus, then six times three, because it's a Tzkiah before and after, gets you 18. Alright? So that's why it says no fewer than 18, because we're talking about six segments of Anenu, and in each segment there's a Tzkiah through a Tzkiah, presumably in Shemona Esrei. Alright? So you see that there's this idea of Shofar. Of, of shofar. So the Gemara says, and that's a challenge to the one that says that you only do anenu is the way you cry out and not with the shofar. Um, so the Gemara says, um, Ella, so you're right. Everybody does not debate that you would that you would blow the shofar. The karili hatra'a, and that's referred to as hatra'a, like it says in this right that we said. No fewer than 18 hatra'ot. The only hatra'ot that are 18 are shofar blasts. So everybody admits that the word hatra'ah can mean shofar blasts and that you would do shofar blasts. So then what's the debate? Umar savar lo karile hatra'ah. I'm sorry. Kifligi da'anenu. The debate is whether you would say anenu. Mar savar karile hatra'ah. Umar savar lo karile hatra'ah. One believes that that would be called hatra'ah and would be included when it says matri'im, that the way the last three are more important is by ma- are not important, are more, is by doing matri'im. So everybody agrees when you say you have matri'im by the last, it means you do the shofar. Okay, and that's siman l'davar Right, that's that right that we just read. And there's going to be 18 of them because it's six brachos times three. Okay, the question is, is so everybody agrees that that's the bright idea. But does the idea of Matriim also include the idea of a name? That's the question. Does Matriim, the word definitely means so far out, as we've seen, does it also mean a name? Or no, or do do both? Presumably, do you have to do when it says you do matriim in the last seven? Does it mean shofar and anenu, or just shofar? Presumably, it means the it means and. Um, okay, so it says like this. 
okay, where are we? So Marsaver Karli Hatra, Marsaver Lo Karli Hatra. So the one that said Machi means Anenu, of course you do the Shofarot. But the point is, in addition to the Shofarot, you do the Anenu. But the one that only mentioned Shofarot, you would not do the you would not do the Anenu. You would just do the Shofarot. Okay. So let's take that's the presumably the debate whether you also do the Anenu. You know, if that's also being included in the mission as a point of difference. Uh, between the last seven and the earlier ones. So the Mara says like this, one minute. Vatanya, we taught in Raisa, the Sharkomine Puranyo, Tamitrak shows other types of, of bad things that are um, like, that are, Mitrak uh, shows is like, that are sort of um, um, about to come, like, like, means to, to, like, to, you know, to, to excite yourself. So the other types of bad things that are like anticipated. That, that sort of anticipating, you know, they're like exciting themselves that they're about to come. Like they're, so that you're anticipating their possible arrival. Kigon, um, all different types of infestations of, you know, of locusts and, and bugs and, 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 uh, snakes and scorpions. They would not do when they would fast for those. It would not be with matriin. All they would do is cry out. So that makes it clear that Matuim doesn't mean cry out. Since the word Tokim obviously means verbal crying out, so So you see the word Hatra'ah is used in contradistinction to Tsoakim, and it only means Shofarot. It does not include the idea of calling out verbally. Okay, is that clear? Right? You see that? Right? It says in these times you would, do call, you would verbally cry out, you would not do Matuim. So clearly Matuim does not include the idea of verbal crying out. It's just Shofarot. So the man says, no, Tanahi. It's a debate of Tanayim about what that word means to include. The following things you would matriim on Shabbat. Okay? On a city that has been surrounded by troops. Nahar, or is, um, you know, it's like there's a fear that the river will overflow. Or a boat that is like in the middle of a sea storm and, you know, it might imminently drown, um, capsize. Um, all of those things are urgent enough that you would even do it on Shabbat, you would be matriim, which either means shofarot or shofarot and anenu, that's up for debate. Rabbi Yossi Omer, now Rabbi Yossi says, la'azara, when can you do matriim for those things to call for help? Like these are things which, forget about, you know, calling out to God, let's, let's try to get some people to help us, you know, save this uh, city that's surrounded by troops or the boat that's about to sink. So you could do the matriim to call for help of a lowest sa'ata, not to cry out to God. Okay, <laughs> fascinating. So you know, but again, it shows like I think Hazal's you know very thisworldly approach. Like if we can, you know, the more pressing issue is right now is not praying, but it's calling people to help. You know, the people that you know to to, to lend a hand. So that's what Reb Yossi says. That you can do on Shabbat to call people to lend a hand. You cannot do it for prayer. So now, what are we talking about? Well, the words here is matu'in and he says you're matu'in to call for help so presumably that means verbally call for help blowing a shofar is not specific enough to get people to come and help if there's about to be an overflowing of the river so b'mai what are you calling people with according to Rabbi Yossi ilim b'be shofarot now the Gemara has another issue if it's shofarot besides what I said that it wouldn't help call people as effectively shofarot b'shabbos mishariah since when can you blow a shofar on Shabbat 
Now, that's a little disturbing because if a river's about to overflow, you know, people's lives are at risk, of course you can do anything you need to do. But presumably the Gemara means it on the earlier position because the earlier position said you're matri'in even to God, not just matri'in to call for people to help. So the Gemara doesn't believe that anything would justify blowing the shofar as a form of tifilah. We don't even do it for God's sake on Rosh Hashanah. We don't blow the shofar on Shabbat. So you do not blow the shofar on Shabbat as a type of prayer. Okay, so therefore, that we cannot be talking about that if we're talking about doing it on Shabbat. Elalav be'anenu. So obviously, what we're talking about here, and one could also say it's implicit in Repiosi, who talks about verbally calling for help, we're talking about anenu. The karile hatra'ah, and it uses the verb matri'in to refer to anenu. Shmamina. So you see that the word hatra'ah can refer, and some, for some writers, not just to, um, not just to shofar, but also to anenu. Now, I will say that what's a little bit confusing of this Gemara is, is the Gemara just asking a technical question of what this term means? Or is it asking what actually you would do in these last seven? Because I've got to tell you, as we're going to see tomorrow's doc in the next parak, there is no question that in these last seven you both blow the shofar, you do it part of the Shemona Esrei in the Misha'ana, right? So, so presumably you also have the Anenu that goes with it. So is there really a debate of what you're doing? Or is it just a debate of technically what does the word Matriin mean in the Mishnah? What is the Mishnah highlighting as the difference? Is it highlighting the shofar, or is it highlighting the anenu? Um, you know, I think it's easier to believe that rather than to think that the other opinion does not believe that you actually said anenu. Um, so, and then again, I think that that's a fascinating question, which is, you know, what do we think is like going to be the effective way of getting to God? Do we want to highlight the use of a shofar? You know, maybe we have to involve more ritual or involve, you know, more... Um, uh, equipment, you know, and in order to do it, or maybe it's just the way that we're praying and the type of, you know, emotions that we are bringing to our prayers. Um, but again, clearly the whole point here is you've got to do extra. It's not enough to daven from the sitter. You've got to bring your emotions to this and you have to be matriim. And then the question is whether that's emphasizing the use of the chauffeur, emphasizing the way in which we're praying. Okay, now we move on. Bishani de Yehuda in the years of Rabbi Yehuda Nesiyah, who was the grandson of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, so he was in the Amoraic period, there was a tsar. It's not clear what it was, but maybe it wasn't rain. Maybe it was one of these other tsarot that we heard of. But something that warranted a ta'anit. So Gazar taniyot, and he went for the whole complement, the whole 13. The Lohiani, and they weren't answered, like the Mishnah says. What happens after 13? They're not answered. So what does the Mishnah say happens after 13 that they're not answered? Do you remember? You stop doing the Tanit, Yechidim maybe continue, and you start doing Avelut. So let's see what Rebbe Huda Nesiyah did. Savar Lemingzer Tzei, he wanted to make on the Tzibor more than the 13. Okay, we know that's only something for Yechidim to do. Amalei Rebbe Yami, Rebbe Yami said to him, Harei Amru, Ein Matrichim Al-Tzibor Yotem Midai. They said, apparently uh, there was a statement said in the, as an explanation to why you stop after 13, that you do not put that burden on the community more than they can bear. Thirteen is enough. So now becomes the question, why do you think we stopped at thirteen? Okay, let's for a moment take a step back. The mission says after thirteen, then they act like Bnei Adam and Yisofim Lamakom and they, and they stop. Why do they stop? You know, is it that you feel if God hasn't answered after thirteen attempts, it's like God clearly isn't answering, it's going to be no point, purposeless? Is it because, if that's true, that should have applied here. Is it because you don't want to overburden the community? At a certain point, we have to say enough. 
then it sort of applies here. But maybe there's also something that would, was unique to the rain issue. Calendar? Yes, because if you remember, the end of the mission says, and if it rains, if it rained too late, like by Nisan time, then it's a Siman Klala. Now, after 13, you're not in Nisan time. After 13, you know, you're talking about what? Like, uh, I didn't exactly do the math, but uh, if it's two a week, you're talking about like seven, eight weeks or something like that, depending on when you start or whatever. So... You're in the middle of Tevet. It's not after Nisan. But still, there's a point that after a certain point, the rain is not going to make that much of a difference, you know? So maybe that's part of why we stop. So let's take a look. That's what's at stake here. So he says, look, it's a nikkel of Kircho. We should stop. So, um, Reb, um, Rebbe Ami, that is uh, saying, you know, oh, you're not supposed to be matriach yotamidai, you know, um, that's, you know, that's a nice Torah, and he can say that for himself, but meaning it's a way of sort of dismissing it. That's nice, you know, go teach that to yourself, that's not really the reason. Why? So, this is what Rebbe Chibar said in the name of Yochanan, something quite different. When do we say you stop at 13 when it's about rain? But for all other bad things that are, you know, ha- you know, about to happen or are happening, you fast until some, there's some relief. You keep on praying and fasting. You never give up hope until there is some relief. And therefore, you don't stop at 13. Now, I think there's something very beautiful about that, you know, because that's sort of saying, like, we never stop believing that God will eventually answer our prayers, you know, and maybe he hasn't been answered until now, but it never leads to a sense of despair about that, um, you know, which is very different than the way the Mishnah ends. The Mishnah ends, like, you, everybody is in despair. Everybody, God is rejected you. End of story. Like, there's no sense of what comes after, right? Here, you know, no matter how long it's been going on, we never despair. We keep on, keep at it, eventually we'll be answered. Um, yes? Right, and the only reason you stop by the rain, I'm sorry, I, I meant to say that, but going back to what we said, and therefore the reason it's, we stop by rain is because just by the rain, there's no point in continuing. Even if God were to answer us now, it wouldn't do any good. It's too late for the rain. So it's not that we're despairing of the relationship or of the possibility that God would answer. It's just that it's like too. It's like if somebody's praying for someone to get better and he dies, you stop praying for the person to get better, right? <laughs> so that's like the point of that's what Rabbi Yochanan is saying. It's, it's just about rain because after a certain point, it's too late. But when it's but if if the problem is still exists, you never give up. You keep on praying. Um, okay, Tanya and Amirachi we taught similarly. So when they sort of said these three and you know three and three and seven, that was about rain and it was about spacing it that way and so on. But all the other fasts you keep for other reasons you keep on doing it until you're answered. I have to say I don't understand exactly what it means when they said three and when they said seven. It's just when they said thirteen because thirteen was the limit, right? Like other fasts. You know, it's more about when you end. It's, you know, is there a different, why should that affect how you structure it in terms of three, three, and seven? Right? That's not so clear. Unless what it means is that a little delayed rain isn't so tragic right away if it came a little late. So we don't start the heavy fasts right away. Whereas if there's about to be pestilence or there's about to be marauding troops, we start the heavy fasts right away. Like, that's not a gradual concern. So that might be the reason it says, not only is it the fact that you don't end, but maybe you can even start on a heavier note with those other things. 
Okay, so let's say all of this is a proof against Rabbi Ami, who said that it's all about Tircha de Tibur, and it would be, the limit would apply to everything. So the Gemara says, Amalukha Rabbi Ami, Rabbi Ami would say back to you, Tanai, it's a debate of Tanai, and Tanai, you turn to the Brisa, and goes in Yotam, Shlosh, to say Tanai, Yotam, Tibur, if he shame Matrichan at the Tibur, Yotam, he die. So we have the Brisa that says exactly what he said. The reason of not more than 13 is you don't want to burden the community. Divrei Rabbi, that's what Rabbi says, so that's who I'm going right. Reb Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, Reb Shimon Gamliel says, Lumina Shem was there, that's not the reason. Elit Meshi Yasaz Manash, because the time of the rain has passed. So exactly this debate of Hamorayim is an explicit debate in a brisa between Rebbe and Reb Shimon ben Gamliel. Is this unique to rain because it's already too late? Or is this a general issue of just at a certain point you've got to stop and get back to your life? Uh, I have to say, even the idea of stopping and getting back to your life is is much better than the idea of B'nei Adam HaNizofim L'makom which is a complete sense of like despair about the relationship you know so it's a different thing to say like you know reality has to kick in at a certain point um, okay so anyway but that's the two reasons that are presented whether it's unique terrain or not now about this issue of when is the right time we get back to a question that came up before about different places need rain at different times so the people of Ninveh, fascinating to mention Ninveh here because they're coming up in the, you know, pretty soon about how Ninveh is a model of people that, you know, you know did tshuva. So the B'nai Ninveh sent to Rebbe, Kigon Anand, Mitra, we need rain even in the summer. So, you know, normally you stop asking in the spring, by Pesach time, we need it even in the summer. So, Hechi Navich, how should we act? Kechidin Daminan or Daminan? Are we like Yechidim or are we like Rabbim? Again, this Yechidim and Rabbim thing. Now, what do they mean by that? We've seen a distinction of Yechid and Rabbim in terms of fasting, right? So, is that what they mean? Let's see what they mean. So, say, Yechidim damina nubishomea tefillah. So, the Gemara doesn't interpret it about fasting. You know, should we do it like a Tainus Yechid or Tainus Tibur? It interprets it as about, in terms of davening. Should we do it should we be, consider ourselves just like Yechidim who are fasting, or, you know, or, or, and, and say it in Shomea Tefillah? Um, well, let's see what we're saying. Are we like Yechidim and do it in Shomea Tefillah? O kirabim daminan ubibirchat hashanim. Now, all of a sudden, it shifts gear to what we were expecting. Probably until now, at least what I was expecting is, the contrast to Shomea Tefillah is when do we say the Rabbins say Anenu? Not in Shomea Tefillah, but when? being Goel Lerofe, right, as a separate bracha. We mean Birchas Hashanim. You know, what do we say in Birchas Hashanim? So what's one thing we do say in Birchas Hashanim that relates to this? Right, we say, Tain Talumata So all of a sudden, one minute, you're asking a different question. You're not asking that you're fasting and is it a tinus yachid versus a tinus tzibur, you know. You're asking, like, uh, maybe you're not even fasting. Maybe you're just asking, we need to say Tain Talumata. And do we say it in Shomea Tefillah or do we say it in, you know, in Birchas Hashanim? You know, normally Birchas Hashanim, you only say it until, until, until Pesach. But in our entire city, you know, our entire region, if you remember I mentioned the Rosh's Tshuva, I'll, I'll mention it again in a minute, in our entire region, we need rain much later. Maybe we should keep on saying Birchas Hashanim through the period that we need rain. I'm saying Tain Talumata. So that's the question. Nothing to do with Satan. It's just the saying of Tain Talumata. Okay, because and again, the way you can notice that it's not about the time is now that we realize this and go back is it didn't say that it didn't rain. It didn't say B'nai Ninveh sent to Rebbe and saying it's not raining. Yeah, and you know what? What are we and what are we doing? They're just saying as a regular course of events, we need the rain even in the summer, right? You see that how they're phrasing their questions. 
right? They said, like they're saying, like, regularly, nothing bad is happening right now. It's just a general question. Forget Tanis. Regularly, we need rain in the summer. How do we make that request for rain? Do we say it in Shomer Tefillah or do we say it in Berchas Hashanim? Shalchulahu, he sent to them, Kiachidim Damisu, you're like individuals, Ube Shomer Tefillah, you say it in Shomer Tefillah. The basic point is that the Tzibur, you know, all of Kla Yisrael, the sh- well, not really, because Eretz Yisrael is different than Chutz Laaretz, but the shift in the liturgy is like, is like for everyone. Okay? And therefore, the saying, stops at Pesach for everyone. If your region still needs rain later, then you go ahead and you say it, and you say it in Shomer Tefillah. So you're, you're a set, you're like, you know, you're a small uh, exception, but the rule still is, of, of the standard liturgy applies to everyone. Okay, so the Gemara says like this, May say, I'll ask you on that, Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Amasai. When is it, presumably, that you say, you know, um, uh, according to the schedule that we've mentioned, you know, Zayim Marcheshvan, or 60 days afterwards, you know, after the Tkufa and Bavel, when everything is, like, in its right place, the years are normal, Israel's in its land, Okay, Abal, Bizman nowadays, it all depends on the situation you find yourself in, whether, what, what you need, whether, you know, what's going on this year, when the rain is most needed this year, what, in that location when rain is most needed, you know, in that, you know, for that time when the rain is most needed, everything follows, like a year by year assessment. Crazy idea, right? That saying "Tain Talamatali Bracha" would change year by year and community by community based on when they would need rain. Okay, so you see, it says it does change. It's not a fixed thing that everybody does the same way. So Amalei, she said back to him, "Masnisa Ramatali the Rebbe, you're challenging Rebbe with a brayta. Rebbe Tana, who Pali? Rebbe is a Tana. He has his own opinion." So here we have a fascinating quest- possibility that you would say in Birchas Hashanim either based, you know, on every year and every community and every geographic region based on what's appropriate for that time. But Rebbe says it's a fix. It's, no, that's fixed. Anything that's special for you guys, say it in Shomer Tefillah. So what's the halacha? My Allah, what was the court conclusion? Rav Nachman Amr B'Birchas Hashanim Tefillah Okay, so that's the, and that is what we do. Even if a community still needs rain um, in a, you know, at a later time, even as a regular thing, that that region always needs rain later than Sukkot, uh, later than, excuse me, than uh, Pesach, you stop saying Tain Talmatar when it comes to Pesach, and if you need to continue saying it because you need to continue asking for rain, you ask for it in Shomer Tefillah. Okay, now that makes sense, that there should be a pretty consistent liturgy, you know, but again, let's also acknowledge that it is different between Eretz Yisrael and Babel. And I want to remind you, I think I mentioned this before, that the Rush dealt with this question when he moved to Toledo and became the rabbi there, and he said there they needed rain, you know, after Pesach. And people were not only asking about saying Anenu in Shomer Tefillah, they were actually having fasts because it wasn't raining and they need rain as a regular basis after Pesach. And the Rush says, I couldn't believe this. They were fasting for rain, and they weren't saying, Now, he says, what about this Gemara? This Gemara basically reflects that. He says, this Gemara is talking about, okay, the people of Nineveh, that's a city. We're talking about, like, an entire country. You know, we're talking about a whole major geographic area. So if there could be a different, a different uh, 
sort of, you know, rule for Eretz Yisrael and a different rule for Bavel, so there should be a different rule for Spain. I'm not talking about a city, I'm talking about a huge country. Okay, and he said that this is, uh, you know, it's not like we Paskin like the Bavli and we have to do what Bavel does. Bavel is different because they needed different needs for rain. So Spain should be like Bavel and have its own calendar for St. Tain Bracha. So the rush says, he says, I, I was so kikruchia, I screeched like a crane, so waste the Mishkachbi, and nobody listened to me. So he says, it all fell on deaf ears. And basically, bottom line is, we in that even if an entire country has a different schedule, once it comes to Pesach, you stop saying a taint halumatar. You can say it in Shomer Tefillah, but you stop saying it in Birkas Hashan. And even if the entire country still needs rain at that period. It's pretty interesting. Okay, the one point is that if accidentally you said it in Birchas Hashanim, and this is something that's needed for your country, for your country then you don't have to repeat the Shimon Eser. But we basically pass in against the rush um, and apply this idea of Ninveh to even very large geographic regions. You don't, you don't repeat the Shimon Eser. You do say something in... You do, like the Gemara says here. Like, you know, I mean, I, obviously it's, it's not exactly... Oh, no, once you accidentally said it in Birch Hashanah, you wouldn't say it again in Jamea's Fila. Okay, but yeah. Okay, so what have we concluded here? One thing we've concluded is that Matri'im, the big way the last seven are different, with Shofar and Anenu, both about a, not just a saying of Tilot, but a way of calling out and screeching out, etc. We've discussed the issue of um, when you stop at the end of 13, is that just for rain? Because after a certain point, it's, it's not doing any good. And is that the reason why you stop? Or is the reason that, and for other things you would continue, you would never give up hope? Or is the reason that you stop because of Ein Matri'ch and Sibor, and then it would be universal? And now we've looked at the issue of um, going back to a standard liturgy question, not the general issue of ta'anit and, and sort of exceptional cases, and would that change region by region? And the answer basically is no. Okay, moving on. So on Mondays, this is now when the stores are closed in the last seven. So on Mondays, you would incline, which basically Rashi says means like, you wouldn't exactly open the store for regular for business, but, you know, you'd make it available for people that needed it um, as it's starting to get dark. And on Thursdays, the whole day, because, uh, before, you know, in order to help people prepare for Shabbat. So, so that's within the parameters of keeping the stores open or closed. So the Gemara says, Ibailu, Heikhiktani, how do you, exp- how do we, how did we, what does that Mishnah mean? How, how are we, you know, what does it mean to be saying? So does it mean, does the verb matin, which means like you, you know, incline, like you sort of have it half open, does that, does that refer both to th- Mondays and to Thursdays? And the whole difference is the amount of time. By Mondays, you sort of open it as needed near nightfall. And by Thursdays, it's open as needed the whole day. Um, or, so the basic difference is how long do you have that type, you know, that, that uh, availability. Odioma, or maybe there's a dip, maybe Thursdays is more radically different. Odioma b'sheni matim, on Mondays towards nightfall, you, you know, open it up like as needed. But on Thursdays, you, you open it regularly for business. So that's a radical difference. That means that on thir- the whole idea of closing the stores really only applied to the Mondays. It didn't apply to the Thursdays, right? You get that, right? So, it, or so, that, so that's the question. Now, I will remind you that of every threesome, it's Shani, Hamishi, and Shani. There are two more Mondays than Thursdays. So even if it does only apply, but, but this is a seven. So this would be... 
So this would actually forget that point, because this is a seven. So this would have four Mondays and three Thursdays. But still, this read would have it only, only really closed uh, a little more than half the time. So Tashma coming here. The time we turn to Bresheni Matim Ara Erev, and on Mondays you sort of you know make it available until the evening. Uvechamishi Potchim Kol Hayom Kulo. So yes, Thursdays it's fully open. Mitnei Kvara Shabbat in order to let people purchase for Shabbat. Hayulo Shnei Now even there maybe there's a little bit of you know a little bit that you're not you know fully business as usual if there's two entrances you don't have both doors open like normally you have two you know like think of a Macy's right you have ten different entrances ways you can get in no you only have one door that's open I mean the store is fully open but only one of the entrances is open if however you have a booth in front of your door then you can fully open like you know um, and not have to worry now what does fully open mean does it mean you can open both doors because the booth like slows down traffic a little bit Rashi says something even more than that if you look at Rashi again about six lines before the lines get wide Potech Kidarko Rashi says Afilu Besheni so if you have a booth in front of your store so when the doors are open you know it's not so public it's not so obvious that the doors are open because there's a little booth in front of it you can even have your store open on a Thursday on a Monday so that seems to be like a real loophole to get around this right all you need is to put a booth in front of your store and you can be open on a Monday it's not so clear to me that that's what the Brighton means okay but this is the idea that on the last set of fasts the stores are shut down which is a real way that the whole you know community shuts down um, for these last seven fasts but obviously to some degree life has to continue so there's some allowance on Monday and a much greater allowance on Thursdays okay now the seven have passed and now even after the whole 13 they haven't been answered you then it's you don't have business you limit your business and with, and with construction and planting Tana, binyan, binyan simcha. It doesn't mean you don't do any types of construction. I mean, you know, you've got a leaky roof. That's okay. It means you don't do things that are jo- about types of a, con- a joyful construction. We'll see what that means. Nitiyah, nitiyah shel simcha. And similarly, a joyful planting. Ezu binyan shel simcha. Ze'abona beis chasnus libno. Like if you're basically building a wedding hall for your son, whether that means a house for him to move into after he gets married, or some type of a special chuppah that you know he's going to get married under, that's a, that's a simcha related binyan. Okay, and what's the ezu nitiyah shel simcha? What's a simcha related planting? Ze'hanotea avvarniki shamalachim. Some type of a like an orchard of kings you know some type of a beautiful you know backyard orchard you know flower garden those types of things you would not do but you know a gazebo but other types of things you know oh that's not planting that's building but anyway so those are the things that you don't do but again not completely to outlaw these things um, here, so here it's much more limited. It's not just an exception. What's actually forbidden is a much more limited category. You know, binyan and itiyah are being defined very narrowly. Okay, ubishe'elat shalom, and in inquiring after somebody's well-being, like you know, we say, like on Tisha B'av, you don't even say like hello, right? But it's because uh, she'elat shalom on the one hand is a greeting, but on the other hand, she'elat shalom has the word shalom in it. It means you know, mashlom, you know, mashlom demar, like you know, you know, like it's about uh, asking after somebody's welfare. You know, greeting somebody, you know, peace be upon you, you know, and, and inquiring after their welfare. So that you understand more that if you're like, everybody's in mourning, you don't start saying, hey, what's happening? How's everything going? You know, but we have translated that in even to not doing like a simple greeting. But I just want to 
make it clear that that was not exactly the Gemara didn't have hello okay the Gemara Shalat Shalom was a little more than hello okay so Tanu Rabbanan we taught Kaveirim ain't Shalat Shalom Beinehem so this is now a new distinction not Yachid V'Tzibur but Chaver and Am Ha'aretz a distinction we're more familiar with for the rabbis okay so the Chaverim the like knowledgeable rabbinic class or those that are particularly scrupulous they don't do any asking after welfare Amei Ha'aretz Shishoalim now the uh, the uh, you know the, the, the masses don't know that you're not supposed to greet people during this period so they'll greet you so what are you supposed to say I mean how can you be rude so Machzirim Lehem B'Safa Rapa the COVID road. You answer in like a, a soft, you know, tongue and with a heaviness of head. So he says, hey, how's everything going? Okay. <laughs> so, you know, so you, you answer, that's what you, that's how you answer. Okay. Now going back, going beyond Shehot Shalom, people wrap themselves in their talit and they sit. Again, Avel and Menudah are being put together like mourners and like those that are in Nidoi like people that are being rejected by God until God has compassion part of the message I should say here implicitly is that not only are we owning what's happening to us and that we are sort of, you know, like, I think there's a power to that, like, you know, to do something that expresses that you really are recognized how terrible this is and what this means and that you're owning that, you know, in terms of its religious significance. You're not just saying, all right, whatever, life as usual. Okay, but the other point I think that's being made here is you, you make yourself so miserable that maybe God finally has compassion. I think there's a sense that, you know, that that rachamim might be bestirred by the fact that you are now just completely mired in your misery. And I think it raises the question that maybe that's partly what's going on with the ta'anit as well. Maybe part of the idea of a ta'anit is you make yourself so miserable that maybe God will answer you. Okay, so I think that's a little bit of a subtext here. Um, now this is a little interesting what this is doing here but I think that this is implicitly because we spoke about Yechidim continuing to fast during this period I think this is implicitly a comment on that although we haven't repeated that point here but during this period Yechidim continue to fast maybe the Yechidim will be answered so this gets to a question of who is a Yechid and who might still be answered you know and, and, you know, and, and through what means so here he says the following an important person is not allowed to fall on his face you know as a way of praying unless he's answered like so we know that Yoshua was answered by falling on his face but you know unless you think you're like Yoshua and you have the same confidence that you're going to be answered don't do this so part of the message here is you know it's the issue that came up earlier about Yuhara Right? So it's one thing to see yourself as a yachid and to continue to fast. But what about to see yourself as a yachid? The yachid I'm going to see myself like is Choni HaMe'agel. And I'm going to draw a circle and say, God! Oh, you know, so that's like a tremendous chutzpah. So it's an interesting, again, question of what that means to be a yachid and how that sets you apart from the tzibor and what that does in terms of the sense of your own being you know, special religiously. So here he's saying, I don't, I, I don't want some demonstrative behaviors, like none of this falling on your face unless you're like Yoshua ben Nun. Okay, the Amar Rebbe Eliezer, Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Lezer also said, Oh, you want to put on a sackcloth? So only if you'd be answered like Yoram. Now, Yoram was a wicked king, that should be mentioned. 
but we know he was answered. So again, the whole story, he tore his clothes, he wore the sackcloth, and he was answered. So unless you're confident that you're going to be answered by God, you know, don't go overboard with your demonstrating your acts of, you know, mourning and of prayer, making yourself so special. The Amar Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Lezer also said, Even when it came to the, you know, great, you know, greats in the Tanakh, not everybody did all the different forms of showing their mourning and their, you know, and, and, and their misery. Um, not everybody rent their garments, not everybody fell on their face. Moshe Varon Benefila, Moshe Aaron fell on their face. Yoshua Bekalei Bekriya, Moshe Varon Benefila, Dechthiv, we read this recently, Vayipo Moshe Varon Alpnehem, Yoshua Bekalei Bekriya, Dechthiv, Yoshua Binu Bekalei Benefila, Karubi Dehem. Now, quite interestingly, they're not falling on their face and tearing their garments to pray to God, necessarily. They're falling on their face and tearing their garments because they're hearing this terrible news, right? Right, everybody know the story, right? Yoshua and Kalev are not tearing their garments to speak to pray to God. They're tearing their garments because the people are, you know, this terrible thing is happening. But that's consistent. We're no longer in the Tanit phase. We're in the Abelut phase. We're in doing certain practices to express the tragedy, not to be answered. So looking at Yoshua and Aaron and Kalev and um, whatever, and uh, Moshe and Aaron and Kalev and Yoshua and how they responded to the tragedy of the Miraglim is an appropriate model for this stage, the post-13 fast stage where it's about owning that tragedy. But again, what it seems that Rebel Lezer is responding to, if you put all these statements together, which the Gemara conveniently did for us, is he saw a lot of ostentatious religious behavior going on. He saw people rending their garments and falling on their face and putting on sackcloth, and he said, look, you know, only if you know you can be answered, and, don't, and I'm going to do everything, I'm going to do this and this and this and this, you know, even in Tanakh, people didn't do everything, they had different forms of expressing it, don't, don't let, you know, keep the showmanship to yourself. Okay, so Yoshua had it said Yoshua not the Yoshua then it would be like you would be saying that Moshe and Aaron did one thing and Yoshua and Kalev did another thing and Yoshua and Kalev did this it means they did what Moshe and Aaron did and they also fell you know rent their garments I don't know if that's exactly plot but that's what he gets out of the vav the Amar Rebelezer, Rebelezer said, Now we're moving beyond sort of expressions of tragedy and of prayer and just general thing. Not everybody, is, you know, uh, stands up and not everybody bows down. Let's take a look. Melachim stood up and the Sarim Bishtachavaya and all, you know, sort of uh, princes bowed down. Melachim Bikima Dechiv. So saying to this, to the to the nation that has been disgraced, you know, and disgusted and, and rejected, the rejected and disgraced nations, and has been ruled over by others, in the future kings will rise up, for, will, will see your glory and rise up for you to show honor. The Sarim Bishtachavaya and the and, and princes bow down to see Sarim by and the princes would bow down. So the same way, different ways of expressing grief, different ways of expressing respect. So and don't overdo your expressions of respect either. So Maskif la Rebbe Zera, Rebbe Zera asked on this. We came a Rebbe Shmuel ben Achmeni. He received this Sarim Yishtachavu, and the princes will bow down to Kedekamrit. The life, like you said, one will do one, the other will do the other. Hashem received Sarim the Yishtachavu, and 
they will bow down. The Vav is going on the verb here, so it's an even better point than the point before about Yoshua. Hava Ha'avid. It means they'll do that, they'll get up, and afterwards they'll also bow down. All right, so doing both is not so bad. Amar of Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Afani Omer, as long as we're talking about this, let me say, Not everybody will see the same end. Not everybody will have light, and not everybody will have joy. Tzadikim la'ora, the righteous will have light. The yesharim with simcha, and the upright will have joy. The tzadikim la'ora dechsiv, or zarua with tzadik, uli yesharim simcha dechsiv, uli yishrele simcha. Now that's like a funny way to end. It's nice that we're ending on a positive note, but like, what, a tzadik doesn't get joy? You know, and, uh, and, and, and a yashar doesn't get or? And what exactly is the difference between the tzaddik and the yashar? You know, so I think it's a, I, I, I'll, I think it's a fascinating ending to try to think about what the, what's going on there, but I just to repeat, the bigger thrust here is, and I think it's a very important way to end, a, to end this parak, which talks about the yachidim starting and the yachidim ending, that it's one thing to be a yachid and to accept the fast and do it in private. It's another thing to start doing all of these very demonic demonstrative ways that are not appropriate for you, not appropriate even if an Adam Chashuv, it's not, you know, it's not appropriate, it's just ostentatious, and certainly if you think you have to start doing like a lot of them, you know, it's completely inappropriate, and there's a little pushback in the Gemara, maybe it's not so bad to do more than one, but again, it's an interesting way to try to create like a balance of setting yourself apart from the Tzibor, ways that are appropriate and ways that are not. Alright, with that.